0: Hello, hello, everyone, welcome back to another episode of SAS District. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about how to get your first 100 customers with more confidence and clarity. Today we have our guest with us, Asia Orangio with us, Uh, Asia's career and business has been focused on working with early stage startups and high growth tech companies. She is an expert at helping SaaS companies define their go-to market strategy, craft a data-driven approach to growth, implement marketing strategies and programs that help them win an audience in their market and beat the 90% of startups fail statistic, as many of you know. Uh, Asia is currently the CEO and founder at DemandMaven or demandmaven.io, which is a company focused on helping startups either get their first 100 customers, which we'll talk about today, or help them get to the next stage in their growth to their business. She is also head of marketing at Hull, an advisor at Atlanta Tech Village, and is currently a mentor at companies such as Tiny Seed and Growth Mentor. So, welcome, Asia. Really glad that you're here, and uh, thank you for taking the time today.
1: Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here.
0: <laughs> awesome. Um, I know you talk a lot about you know demand generation, and I know some people may not fully understand that term. What does demand generation mean to you, and how can you? Explain it in simple terms for founders who have maybe less marketing experience and move start with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll start with uh, the very first uh, kind of like over overview of marketing in general, uh, I think what maybe a lot of founders, uh, they definitely discover this as they start doing marketing on their own, but one thing that's very true about marketing is that there's actually very many different sub-functions of marketing and then also very specific skill sets and practices that you can have, and a great example of that is like copywriting, for example, like you never think that you need to be able to do it well until you start doing any kind of marketing and then you realize pretty quickly how how fast it can drill down into being a master of just one one thing. Uh, demand generation is really a function of marketing. So I, I would say if marketing is the overall umbrella, demand generation is a, a pretty big function or practice of that. What it basically is in the most layman of terms is uh, all demand generation says is build an audience of people who are most likely to become a paying customer of your product as it exists today. Um, demand generation is very similar to lead generation in that it's kind of like the squares and rectangles situation where one kind of encompasses the other. Lead generation doesn't necessarily guarantee that the leads that you generate are gonna be people who are ready to buy. Demand generation is focused on sales ready leads. Like it's focused on people who are, they've got the pain, they've got the problem, they want to solve it specifically and hopefully with your product. So. Demand generation also doesn't really care about how you do this. Uh, I think that there's a lot of misconception that demand gen is just paid advertising. Um, that's not necessarily the case. It just so happens that paid advertising is the flavor of the year or the flavor of the decade. Uh, demand gen really just says like, hey, all you have to do is accomplish uh, you know, generating sales ready leads, get them into your funnel in some kind of way. We don't really care how you do it so long as it you know, doesn't make your potential customer upset <laughs> and uh, you know, hopefully doesn't hurt anyone in any kind of way. So really it's all about you know, what channels do you have access to that's actually going to resonate with your target audience. But as long as you're doing that, you're probably doing demand generation in some kind of way.
0: Got it. Yeah, makes sense. Never heard it that, that, that way explained, but that makes it a lot more simpler for me to understand it. Now a lot of these these questions, we you know I think a lot of our audience, um, you know their focus, they work with a lot of you know B two B in terms of their focus as what their SaaS is about. Um, what marketing strategy do you suggest for early stage? Let's say they're at a beta stage, maybe pre revenue, to get let's say their first ten hundred customers. And then how do you you know second question to that? How do you differentiate that when you're you're working with, say the mid market uh, product? You know they have mark, product market fit and looking to go from say ten k to one hundred k in um, you know AR, MRR.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what I find uh, nine times out of 10 is in the early days, um, the activities that you're probably doing to, to, to get those first 10 or even like 25 paying customers, it's probably not, um, marketing in like the formal sense, it's probably much more closer to customer development and customer discovery. And the reason why I say that is because, uh, especially if you don't really know if you have product market fit, it's actually really, really, really hard to build an entire growth and marketing function on something that you're not even sure if it's going to be profitable for you in the end or if it's actually going to generate revenue or if it's even the right product. So what I find uh, really works for businesses in the very early stages, maybe they are in that beta stage and they're kind of considering um, either launching like full-on beta or offering a free trial to the market I actually recommend doing the customer development kind of work. So getting on the phone with prospects, generating prospects through, um, it, it, it looks like sales on paper, but really you're approaching it from like a research kind of approach as opposed to trying to build out a bunch of marketing funnels and and build out a bunch of things uh, off the get-go. And this is really just to solidify if this is actually going to resonate with the audience that, that you were thinking of and also highlight any product gaps that you may or may not have it's impossible to know though unless you actually do that kind of uh, development after about like the 10 to 25 uh, and I'm assuming that this is b2b so if you're b2c and listening to this yeah it's a little bit of a different story but if you're b2b and you've got that first 10 to 25 that's usually enough to know like just as a general litmus test on if you've got pretty clear product market fit or if you've got to make some adjustments or focus on a very specific target market But once you get to the milestone of 100 customers, that's where it's really all about expansion. And by this point, you probably have implemented some kind of marketing or growth strategy to actually acquire more of those customers in the first place. It's tough to say exactly what strategies or channels are actually going to work, uh, but purely because it's really more based off of your average revenue per user. So if you've got an average revenue per user that's pretty small, then the cost to acquire customers needs to be as low as possible. Well, what are the free channels out there? Organic search. I mean, this is kind of where we can kind of dig into uh, what the market overall and your landscape looks like Uh, and then of course on the flip side if you've got a higher average revenue per user maybe it's like i don't know ten thousand dollars or something then we're probably going to look at sales Um, that's kind of where like your place in the market and the product that you have and who you're ultimately serving so much of that really dictates your marketing strategy for you
0: so let's get kind of more deeper into that that last point so um, what does that marketing strategy look like say you're focusing on your user base b2b say SMB, so you're you know low ARPU, low LTV, maybe, um, you know, all self-generated through, through your website, they come through a, a funnel, they sign up, um, very little inhuman interaction versus, you know, mid, mid-market kind of businesses, let's say, you know, over 10 employees or um, there's more kind of a longer sales cycle, maybe, you know, higher price point where they need more people. What, how does that marketing strategy chain or what yeah. do you recommend anyways?
1: So uh, let's say you're on the lower end. Uh, what, I, what I find from a strategic perspective, and, and this is really to be validated through customer research uh, and through talking to existing paying customers, but nine times out of 10, almost undoubtedly, we're looking at some kind of content marketing in some kind of way. Because you need to be able to acquire new signups, new trials, leads as cheaply as possible. Um, well, Google search, for the most part is free uh, unless of course you do paid, you know, Google ads, things like that. But search in general, organic search, these things are, it's a free channel. So if, if, you're, if you need to acquire uh, customers as cheaply as possible, you're almost guaranteed to be looking at content marketing in some kind of way. Uh, beyond that though, uh, there's likely some larger, uh, really like go to market functions that you could look at. I wouldn't necessarily put them exclusively in the marketing bucket. But depending on what your product does, you might be looking at integrations actually as a channel where it's really all, all about building a product that is extremely sticky and has a very horizontal approach based off of like whatever pain that it is you're solving. Uh, a great example of this is, um, I mean, it's used constantly, but something like a Dropbox or a Google Drive. Like if if your product is truly applicable to a very large total, total adjustable market, then we're looking at strategies that, um, r- again, scale as as you know, far and wide as possible, and at the same exact time, acquire people as cheaply as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned integrations, partnerships, co-marketing efforts. Um, again, think f- if it's free and if it really just requires time and effort, uh, then those are the kinds of channels that or practices that we're going to look at and implement and evaluate. On the flip side, there's the uh, like. Let's say you've got like a much larger uh, average revenue per user, comparatively speaking, or, or you know, like you said, going to that mid-market place, um, you know, targeting SMBs. There's probably a little bit more of a balancing act between leveraging the more free channels and then leveraging channels that you can pay for. So if you're uh, if it's available to you to leverage paid acquisition, and that's typically something that we test, we um, we identify. Uh, And if it's something that you can actually scale, then even better. The challenging part here is, of course, knowing just based off of your market, um, if there are any true paid acquisition opportunities available to you, Google Ads, Facebook, those are the main two that almost every single business tests and tries. Um, But but beyond that, uh, that's kind of where it really depends on the market itself.
0: Mm. So a couple of points there. So I know about you said about the content marketing SEO You know, if you're, um, I think one thing about that is it takes time, right? Like I know it's free, but also to rank and, you know, if you don't have domain authority, your site is new. um, You know, it takes a little bit of time. So I think, you know, and then um, integrations, I guess, would those two also work if you're working with, you know, bigger clients as well? Would you say that's effective?
1: Uh, it, again, this, and this is kind of where, so, so much of your product in your market does ultimately depend how you go to market or d- define it really, or it influences it. Yeah. Uh, not to say that you can't, um, stretch outside or beyond that, but integrations could be something it, it, again, it just depends on like what your product actually does and the kinds of pains that it solves for people. But I have found, um, for, for SaaS companies that have like lower, ARPUs overall, but, uh, but their product is remarkably sticky. Like it, 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 it probably, my guess is that it probably replaces a, a pretty big function or it solves a pretty big pain for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just so happens that the total just market is huge in some kind of way and that's kind of why the ARPU is lower potentially. Um, but I, I find integrations have been an incredible channel for people because we find that, um, especially with SaaS products when it touches other parts of um, a particular pain or problem that that customer has, um, it it becomes another way for people to find you and to discover you. Uh, Integrations is one thing. Um, And again, this is kind of where it's like, uh, it's technically not free if you think about the time that you spend on it, but it's it's something that, some usually does not cost you anything unless of course you're looking at api costs which different conversation sure but um integrations partnerships uh co-marketing opportunities in general are there influencers in your space who are talking about the problem that your product ultimately solves uh building your own personal brand building your own thought leadership Um, these are all things that take time and i'm so glad you mentioned the time aspect because i find that when you've got a lower arpu your your vision really needs to be two, three, four years out. Um, yes, like there's like the two and the three month kind of like goal setting and management. But uh, I mean, ultimately, you want to scoop the entire market, uh, market, right? So you've yeah. got to really, and this is true really for any business, but you've got to really be thinking that two to three years um, time frame of where you want to be so that you can start investing in those things now.
0: Makes sense. And then you were talking about, you know, paid advertising for maybe the, the higher value ticket businesses other than Facebook and Google ads. Have you seen anything else that seem to be successful or work well, especially for B2B startups?
1: Yeah, you know, it's been so it's so it's been so contingent on the customer base and the market. So like Instagram, for example, is something that has worked extremely well for some uh, SaaS companies that have a very specific focus on like a very specific kind of customer um instagram isn't necessarily going to work for everyone but depending on who your customer is it could be an incredible channel because it's not uh it's not as crowded at least as facebook uh and you're able to create um the the overall vibe of instagram uh has like it has a culture and if that culture matches your customer if your customer is there all the time then of course that would make sense uh but beyond that, I would say Google and Facebook are probably the top two places that you would test. Mm. Uh, outside of that, again, it just really depends on your customer. Um, like
0: LinkedIn, I know it gets kind of expensive. A lot of people say it gets, you know, the cost per click is what, 10, 20 times as much as Facebook, but it might be worth it.
1: It's super high, but it's also, um, most people don't live inside of LinkedIn. So unless like your prospect lives in LinkedIn, um, so like recruiting, for example, if you're targeting recruiters, LinkedIn could be amazing um, if you're targeting people who like college students, uh, LinkedIn can be an incredible channel, job seekers. Um, every channel has a particular context. The only thing that I've found to be relatively universal is search and uh, well, the biggest social media platform on the planet, which, you know, just so happens to be Facebook, <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes sense. but, but that said, I mean, I think it really depends on again, like who that, customer is uh, and who you're ultimately trying to target and if they actually live there or not that's really the big question
0: makes sense so what do you see as the biggest mistakes that startups make in their marketing strategies
1: oh my gosh i, <laughs> I feel like this could be a book <laughs> uh the first one is is one that we've kind of touched on, um, but it's, it's not really knowing your customer to the extent upon which you can confidently create a growth strategy. Uh, I find nine times out of 10 in the early days, you're making guesses because you have to, like you don't really have a choice. Uh, but as you start to do that customer research and development, you start to learn who actually has the pain the strongest and who's willing to pay the most. By the time that you get to that 50 to even 100 customer mark usually it's pretty clear on who is your absolute best paying customer but knowing them like the back of your hand knowing them as well as you know your partner spouse best friend whoever that's really the key i find to continuing to to build like a marketing function that actually is revenue generating for you and just a growth function in general Um, whether that's marketing focused product focused sales focused whatever um i find that that's usually a blind spot that a lot of companies have is that they don't really actually know if someone lives inside of instagram versus pinterest versus you know whatever or what kinds of things they actually care about um and and what kinds of content or activities they actually want to participate in what are their pains what are what keeps them up at night um those are the kinds of things that i find when uh, SaaS companies are able to tap into when founders know like the back of their hands. They're able to create just incredibly not only revenue-generating campaigns but businesses that really last for a lifetime. Um, that's one. I think. I think the second one, and and this is really again just dependent on um, just like where you are in your journey. <laughs> but but I think not necessarily knowing what problem your product solves. I think that that's something too that, and it sounds so obvious to say, but it's actually really easy to jump right over that fence and to go straight into build mode and also marketing and sales mode without even really understanding like what the product actually does for someone. This can lead to building the wrong product, often oftentimes, uh, and also sometimes even focusing on the wrong market segment, even with the product that you have. I think that that's something that's, uh, it's, it's hard to identify when you're in it, but when you take a step back and you, again, go to that customer research phase, um, but then also you kind of just you know clearly define, well, what, what does the founder want to build? Like, where do they want to go? And where do the two meet in the middle? Um, that's also something too, that, that is a very common mistake in the early days, building the wrong product or not really understanding what it actually does for people.
0: Right. And that's where the, I think a lot of the failure, right? I think you said 90% is just, maybe they spend a lot of time or money and they're just spending a lot of money and and time on the wrong problem, right? They're solving yeah. the wrong thing or just not tackling it properly. Um, it, you
1: know. it, it's shockingly easy to be a vitamin and not be a painkiller. Yeah. It's like just so easy. <laughs> yeah, so Ideally, you're a painkiller.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, what's that core product, right? That you're actually solving. Yeah. Vitamins yeah. can come later, right? Once, we're, once you get the diet and the, the exercise in place, right?
1: Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah.
0: What do you find? So let's say you have a, a I don't know, let's call $1,000, $10,000, the most effective or highest ROI marketing channel to focus on for a B2B SaaS, either short-term or long-term. So would you spend that 10000 on content, And, you know, you'll see the returns in a couple of months and in the long term or, you know, the Facebook ads or what do you what do you find like from your experience?
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, What I have found has been variant just based off of where the business is and their journey Mm -hmm. and who the customer is. Um, But I find at least for right now. So like if i'm thinking about the context that we're in right now um well i think many of us are probably still in quarantine and or coming out of pandemic mode Mm uh i actually find that focusing on long-term strategy to me at least for right now makes the most sense um quick wins are going to be hard right now and if you're listening to this at this time then um you know you know that we're in an epidemic pandemic you know wherever you're at um but quick wins are going to be really hard or challenging at least. Uh, and especially based off of whatever industry you're in. So my my honest you know, best bet right now would honestly be focusing on long-term. So long-term strategies are things that um, uh, they obviously take time to produce, but content marketing is one of those. Uh, if I had the $10,000, I'd probably put maybe like 20% of it in um, uh, some paid acquisition, but most of it would honestly be focused on building out content? Are there things that we're just not ranking for um, that we should be? Because when the market does ultimately bounce back, which we're assuming that it will, it won't happen overnight, but it absolutely will, you wanna be on top no matter what. Um, Cause I guarantee you that like the competitors aren't stopping. Um, so to me, it's really all about long-term right now. So if there's a lull in the business, I would be focusing on if there are a short, uh, quick wins, let's identify those, But. It's probably going to be all about the long term stuff right now. I I put content marketing and organic search in that bucket. I also put partnerships, if at all possible, in that bucket as well.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. So a lot of people are are kind of hiding and shriveling and you know cutting their ad budget or, or their marketing budget as the first thing. I think you know, you're saying is do the opposite, like invest, and you know in the long term it's going to pay off, and when everybody else is doing the opposite, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's also it's it's tough too because um, you obviously want to stay afloat. <laughs> So if you if you if you do it because you have to, it's like okay, fine. But if there's a possibility to not, uh, I would say continue to invest in marketing growth because uh, I guarantee your competitors aren't stopping. And if they are, then uh, then this is even like the time to you know overtake them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, I want to go into the kind of the more of like a middle market where prove it, you know, product market fit is done. Um, and then now you're trying to optimize their, their conversion. So CRO, conversion rate optimization, you've built a funnel, let's call it, I don't know, going through Google ads or Facebook ads. Um, do you have some stats or numbers you can share on like what does a, you know, optimize or, uh, you know, well tuned funnel look like uh, for certain metrics or what they should be aiming for? Let's call it, you know, dollar cost per click. Uh, percentage to trial. I, I like getting the, into the nitty gritty of these, you know, details because it gives you like a, a comparison of what you should be aiming for. You know, demo s- sales, qualify lead, paid user acquisition, all, all these numbers. Do you have any numbers you can share from what you've seen?
1: Okay, so I heard, <laughs> I heard several questions in that. Sure, sure. Um, uh, it sounded like the first part was something around CRO. So like. Yeah. Is is there a process there? Is, is there like a framework there? And then the second part was, what are we seeing today? Um, so I'll, I'll tackle the CRO piece at least um, to start. CRO is one of those things that uh, when you have the volume, it absolutely makes a ton of sense. Uh, when you're like pre-product market fit. Um, CRO actually is, is really, really challenging. In fact, it, many say that it's like pointless. <laughs> yeah. What you can do at least is prioritize your ideas with some kind of framework. Uh, and from there, uh, execute them uh, after having prioritized them. And if you see a lift in a particular place that you're actually focused on, awesome. And if not, then it just means that there needs to be more experiments that you run. From a you know standard funnel, um, I would say in that B2B mid market uh, space, and even here, uh, cost to you know acquire an actual customer is going to be so variant just based off of how much you're actually charging. But yeah. um, I mean, ideally, you're you're able to acquire leads uh, as as cheaply as a three month buyback period. Uh, I'll let you determine what the three month buyback period is, but just because this obviously depends on you know what your LTV is, I've seen cpls as low as like dollars like sometimes four dollars and i've seen them as high as eighty dollars but as long as it met a three-month buyback period so you know which means whatever it costs to acquire the lead you get paid that back if they convert within three months that's a pretty standard um at least it's a pretty healthy way to acquire a new customer and then of course as you get to like a more true like LTV to cac ratio then you can go for like the you know the typical three to one what have you um In terms of like the actual funnel though i mean we're really looking for the basics and this is if you have a free trial but we're really just looking for um are you converting 15 to 30 percent of the free trials that you get uh into actual paying customers are you below that five percent even three percent churn mark um from a demo model perspective so maybe people have to book a demo in order to get access to the product we're we're really looking at uh are 30% of our demos converting into opportunities, and then are we closing? I would I would say at least 50%. There are some salespeople though who would cough at that number and be like, it's got to be like 70, or maybe even lower. I don't know. I think it depends. Um, but those I would say are just like super basic numbers. And there's more benchmarks that come out over time, even sure. more specifically on like if you're acquiring a credit card or not, or you know what have you. So. Mm those are the the basics that i look for uh on the acquisition side though of just like building awareness and traffic as long as the website is converting that one to two percent of total marketing site traffic into the funnel in some kind of way then we're probably doing an okay job after that it really comes down to on a per channel basis um but yeah and and even that i mean i've seen some websites convert as high as 20 percent like it it just it's so variant, honestly. Um, but healthy, I would say those are likely the baselines. Mm-hmm. Are there outliers? Of course, always.
0: Sure. Yeah. I think that's what I, the numbers I had in mind. So let's say just hypothetically freemium, I think a lot of, you know, SaaS users who will be to be offer that freemium free trial offer. Um, you know, you get your traffic, 2% of those are converting to free trials. Um, you know, that's top of the funnel. But, you know, from there, if if you're not seeing enough of those that are converting to paid users, you know, like we talked about, said maybe 30 percent, 15, 20, 30 percent of those should be converting to paid. How how do you approach that issue if like, you know, it's less than 5 percent, for example, what would you look at?
1: Yeah. The first thing, the first question I would ask would be, are these the right customers? Uh, is there something that we're doing that uh, like we're attracting the wrong kind of person in the first place? And then the second part would be if it's the right person, but it—it's uh, it, very clear that they're not—they're not coming down into like the, the actual paying customer funnel. Then my guess is that we have a product gap. So it's either the market or it's the product or it's both. <laughs> right. Uh, some some and this is a concept that's uh, I think really hard to to visualize sometimes but uh, many people feel like product market fit is like you've got it and it's done forever but the reality is that you're constantly achieving product market fit with many different parts of the market throughout your entire journey and as you grow as a business your customer base grows you've got varying degrees of product market fit with each of those segments so if we're finding that a freemium uh like if we've got a freemium plan and they're not becoming paying customers the first order of operations would be to segment out those users and to really do the tear, the customer tear down, like let's do the analysis of are these people that we even want in the first place. And if not, then we either exclude them from our overall, like, you know, main business KPIs or we figure out how to actually meet their needs and actually convert them into paying customers. It's likely that there's either a product gap or sometimes it's just onboarding. We're just not doing the best job of activating them, mm. which it is, Honestly, it, it, it really comes down to if we can evaluate it ourselves, I'm assuming we've got the right tools. Like maybe we're using like an amplitude or a mixed panel. Maybe we're using full story to watch those journeys ourselves. Um, but I find customer interviews and research like that is usually how we identify that. So if people are having issues converting or if they don't even know what the problem is, we try to get those people on the phone and say, hey, was there something that we could have done that would have helped make your journey better? did you know that we do these things and you'll either get the, no, this isn't for me. I decided. And that kind of tells you, okay, well, probably the wrong market, uh, probably the wrong segment, or it's the, oh man, I had no idea. I wish that you had told me that, which, te- which tells us, oh, it's activation. <laughs> We're not activating them very well. Or sometimes it's just, it's not for me right now because you, you're you missing XYZ feature. And it's like, oh, okay. This is kind of where we get into the overall business strategy of, well, do we want to put in the effort to acquire those people or can we do some things activation wise that increases that conversion rate overall? This is kind of where we get more into that strategy, that, the big strategy question, but um, that's how I would think about that. At least those are the questions I would ask and that's the process I would go through.
0: Yeah. Makes perfect sense. You know, a lot of that, if it's, if it's that first problem where it's the wrong people you're attracting, I mean, if you've built SEO, is that just kind of, you know, adjusting your, 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 your campaign and who, who your, your message, Uh, to who you're going out to and just trying to adjust it at that point, like whether it's your paid side or SEO and just trying to focus on a different person now?
1: Yeah, Yeah. this is where um, attribution really helps a ton and also attribution patterns. So if we find that uh, there's a very specific kind of segment that's coming in, but they're not converting very well, but they're coming in from a very specific campaign that we're running or from an integration or a partnership, then those are things that we reevaluate. And we say like, okay, maybe we don't do that anymore. Conferences are actually a great example of this. So sometimes, um, mostly because it's the most concrete example, I think, where like you go to one conference and it's like, man, they loved us. We killed it. And you go to another conference and it's like, oh man, like if this totally fell flat, it's either uh, them or it's us or both. (laughs) Right. Uh, And I think that that kind of mindset is how you would approach um, attracting maybe the wrong kind of customer segment. And then shifting your marketing activities to focus really on the ones who you really do want. You're always going to attract tire kickers. I think that that's going to happen no matter what, but you can likely minimize that by um, figuring out where they came from in the first place.
0: Right. So I, I like that analogy. So next time you find, okay, this conference did really well. We're going to get a bigger booth. We're going to be right in the center. You know, it's worthwhile. We're just going to, it'll just double our conversions. Right. If it,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so we speak with many technical, you know, founders. They're just, you know, very focused on building product. They spent maybe a million dollars or more on building their product. These are people we speak with in every day at Horizon Capital. They built their product. They've built decent-sized revenue. Have grown a certain point, and then they say we haven't done any marketing. So I know they're saying they haven't done any. They haven't invested in. It. They're probably you know they've done some kind of product-led marketing unknowingly. They write some technical articles, but you know what do you tell those kind of founders? They've spent all this time and money, and what, what do you consider that as a, as a mistake when they're building a startup that they could have done differently?
1: Yeah. I usually tell them that it's okay if you're not a marketer. That's absolutely fine. That's why marketers exist. (laughs) Uh, But one thing, if the marketing process scares you, what I always recommend is focus on the problem that you're solving and talk about the problem that you're solving. It's the easiest high level awareness that you can build about what your product does. And I find that when, when founders take their head out of the I'm caught up in like the marketing, you know, cycle and the fluff, and and you know I hate it or I you know I don't like it or it's intimidating to me or scary whatever. Um, I actually find like if you if you step outside of that and if you focus on what problem am I solving for my customers or what what problem am I hoping to solve? Maybe you don't have customers yet. Uh, talk about that. That's the most basic form of marketing that you can possibly do, and it hopefully doesn't feel inauthentic. Um, because, you know, we're assuming that, you know, you built the product for a reason. We're assuming that you built it because you wanted to do something in a particular space for a particular kind of person. Um, so talk about that. And I find that when uh, I talk a lot about founder generated content, actually, which it's something I'm really passionate about. I think founders should be creating content, uh, even if they're bad at it. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's just because it, it kind of gets you over that hump. Um, of thinking about marketing. And if you're violently against marketing, um, I think that the reality of it is that it's just not a build it and they will come situation. It, there's there's too many distractions. There's way too much competition. Even if you don't have direct competitors, there are people who are doing competitive behaviors. Like there's they're something that they're doing instead of using your product. and You've got to convince people or to sh- and to show them the light that yours is a better solution and it's not going to be obvious and they have no, they've never heard of you. They have no idea that you exist. Um, so really, you're not just competing with your competitive behaviors, you're competing with the distractions of the world. How do you get the attention of your actual audience? How do you, how do you get them to know that you exist and know that your solution is better? Um, that's that's marketing. That's that's really what it's supposed to do. So mm-hmm. I would say if you haven't thought about it yet, it's a good time to start, especially if, if you're seeking capital, if you're seeking um, actually, you know, like really taking this to market and achieving a certain level of growth, it's going to be critical at, at a certain point. But I, I would definitely say don't wait until it's too late. Because one thing that happens that's really common is, um, you know, you'll spend years building and then You've got six months left to live and now you've got to suddenly prove that you've got a product that you know is worth <laughs> it's worth it that's something yeah, yeah. Do, yeah. so
0: I, I like that concept uh, uh was a founder-led content or writing content um do you have a specific channel or does it matter like should i be writing on my blog because i feel like if i'm writing on a blog and then i'm over analyzing it i feel i'm gonna be judged i know and then you know trying to make it as perfect as i'm trying to build a product or are you just writing tweets or, uh, or does it matter right on medium or whatever you feel like as long as you're writing?
1: Yeah, I would say to start, it really doesn't matter where at first it, it starts to matter more as you have more clarity around who you're talking to and who you ultimately want to get the attention of. I find, uh, and this is really just a personal preference, but I find that connecting with others on Twitter is so easy. And micro essays on Twitter are things, I mean it's it's having a moment right now <laughs> to do like micro essays. Um, but I, I think it's all about what's easy for you to start. The goal is to remove as much friction as much as possible in, in the beginning. And then over time, you can start to learn, okay, well, my audience is really on medium or my audience is well, everyone is searching content, you know So I would say bare minimum the blog would, would be a good place to start if that is comfortable for you Um, but really the goal is to get all the knowledge inside of your head and get all of the here's here's how I see the world out of your head and here's the problem that we're solving out of your head into a place that is public (laughs) that's the whole mission and then over time you can start to learn you know better content marketing practices and then you know if you're at a place where you can have someone help you with that then you know, not have to think about it entirely. And um, I mean, you're still a voice obviously, but in uh, a, a participant, but eventually you get to that place where, you know, it's no longer up to you necessarily and people who are better at it than you can kind of take over. But to start to lay out the vision and the pain of what it is that we're solving, it doesn't really matter where, just just do it.
0: <laughs> Makes sense, yeah, I love that. Um, Asia, other than, than content, what are some other underrated growth hacks or marketing resources that many startup founders, maybe they don't normally consider and maybe they should, they should.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I would say this is still technically content I, I mean, really anything that you produce is kind of content. One thing that I love to, to see founders do, um, whenever I see this happen, I absolutely love it. But creating content on YouTube, actually creating video content. One thing that I think a lot of people underestimate about YouTube is that um, at least from like a B2B perspective, it's so underutilized. It's actually really easy to rank for certain keywords uh, that have enough search volume on YouTube itself. But you can actually rank for for certain um, phrases, keywords, and create video content about that. And YouTube is an interesting platform in and of itself. But whenever founders create just video content in general, it it's just like a remarkable... Uh, I don't I hate to call it growth hack because it's still kind of like part of the marketing function. But sure. to me, it's like, like, yes, like you're not only putting yourself out there, but you're educating people about something. And that is always just, you know, one of the best ways to to kind of grow a product and to really grow your own vision too. Um, outside of content though, uh, I think that there's a number of practices that I think are certainly interesting. I think their application is, critical, <laughs> but like how you, how you actually do this is, uh, like how you tactically execute it, I think does ultimately depend, it's, uh, determine its success, but, but community building efforts. Mm. Um, so previously I was at a startup that really focused on building out a community and building out, um, some would say, you know, building a category. I actually don't know if it was quite building a category so much as redefining in a pre-existing one. Um, but. Building out a community and building out uh, some very large-scale awareness about a very specific um, uh, kind of marketing. In this case, it was account-based marketing. Um, but community building in general is something that takes a lot of effort, a lot of time. But if you can do it, I mean, it's a great resource from a marketing perspective. Uh, it's it's absolutely part of demand gen. Um, it's long-term for sure, but when i work with businesses today and they already have communities i'm always like uh, amazed because it's just an incredible way to build relationships
0: and that's like a, a facebook group or like a linkedin group or something like that could work yeah exactly
1: exactly yeah, yeah.
0: i love the idea that's it's a, a really good idea i never would have thought of that as a using youtube videos um i think a lot of people get caught up in, you know trying to perfect it right getting the right video right? the equipment i know you can just throw up your cell phone and, and throw something on but maybe the professionalism also helps uh getting nice quality work and then also there's the editing and then you know putting nice thumbnails and you know so it, people think you know, it's a five minute video but it ended up taking like two hours and then i think if you do that a couple of times maybe you'll start getting discouraged right and you're like oh it's too much work but yeah, i think you have to build some sy- systems beforehand so that you can avoid getting into that right yeah uh last question from, from my end you provide so growth roadmaps for early stage startups i think that's where you're focused on how do we get that 100 first users what does that entail when you're you're talking with them and what can they expect to get if they follow your advice? You know from starting yeah. until the 100 users.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's an awesome question. So the growth roadmap session was really designed for early stage founders who are blocked by something. Uh, if if you want to roadmap your growth, it's usually because you're you're blocked either because you're inundated with ideas or it's because um, there's a very specific problem or challenge that you're experiencing and and you have no idea how to overcome it. Or maybe it's a similar situation. There are many different ways that you could do it, but you're not sure exactly which is the right one or the best one. So what the roadmapping session does the design of it is to help founders identify what are their blind spots. So part, and part of this is leveraging um, just my own experience of the known unknowns. So what, it's a very common feeling, but uh, I don't know what I don't know. So, what are those things, and how can we fill those knowledge gaps and fill those success gaps? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the first part of it. The second part of it is knowing what we don't know. Here's what we need to do to to learn and to learn how to learn. Mm-hmm. And then there's also just the very like tactical, um, well, we, just, we define the strategy of course, but then there's the, here are the action items. Here are the projects and the experiments to go and run in order. And all of the tactics that you're going to need to actually do in addition to, based off of what current resources you have, time, team, uh, money, you know, whatever. Here's how we would prioritize that as well. So founders typically use the growth roadmapping session to overcome those blockers to figure out, you know, just get, get, the, get the outside view, which is really me on, okay, am I thinking about this in the right way or what, what don't I know that, you know, you're obviously gonna highlight for me. And then from there, we define the strategy, we define what are the right channels here. If there's very, if they want to focus on go-to market, so um, maybe they're beta, but they're not really sure, like, should we freemium, should we free trial, should we demo, like, what do we do? We'll define that as well, and if there are any big product market fit gaps that we can identify too, um, and then of course the target market. We define who is all of this for, <laughs> and then after that it's the action plan. So here's what needs to happen, um, and there are many different applications for this. Sometimes it's as simple as like I just want to like I want to build a campaign, but I don't know how. And then sometimes it's as big as okay we've 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 got the full like like we know what we're doing we've got some inkling of product market fit, what do we do next? <laughs> Sometimes it's as big as that. So right. it can really be applied in many different ways.
0: Awesome. Um, thank you so much. This was really great. I, I actually learned a lot from this as well. And I'm sure our audience has as well, uh, where can our audience, learn more about you and get in touch with you if they want to learn about your services or, or, you know, learn, get a product roadmap or a roadmap set up for them as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. So there's two places. The first is Twitter. So if you just at me on at Asia Matos, uh, my name has changed over time. I did get married. So I'm technically Asia Arangio now, but uh, I'm at Asia Matos. And then my website is demandmaven.io. If you go to demandmaven.io, you can go there, learn more about me, book a session, learn more about other services I provide, subscribe. I mean, there's so many things that you can do there. Um, So whatever, you know, finds your lost remote, whatever floats your boat. Um, but yeah, those are the two ways to get in touch.
0: Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Asia. I appreciate it. Thank nice you.
1: Interview. Take care.
0: <laughs> Thank you all for listening in to today's episode. Don't forget to join us for another episode where we interview top leaders and experts in the business and SaaS industry. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you please give us a five star review on iTunes. That would be really, really appreciated. Otherwise, if you have any feedback, suggestions or improvements for this podcast please feel free to send it directly to me on our website at horizoncapital.com or you can just tweet me at akil jabbar thanks again and hope to see you guys on the next episode